everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay. Recorded Good live. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We're just bringing in our guest, Vama Thomas is joining us in the room, and she is a poet and author, and I've invited her in to talk about her upcoming event, as well as her two books, and she's going to give us a little insight on why she became a writer and what prompted her to become an author of two books that are poetry. So I'm going to ask Mrs. Obama to come on now, and she can speak, and she has the atmosphere. Hi, Sherelle. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Great, and thanks for inviting me into your show. Uh, yes, I am a poet. I'm an author. I've written two books. The first book, Two Red Shoes, is uh, a book that kind of deals with self-esteem in children, and it's about learning to love, finding happiness, and self-acceptance. The little girl is about 11 years old, and uh, through an experience, she learns to love herself. She discovers that uh, you must first love yourself before you can expect anyone to love you or before you can uh, really know who you are. You have got to love yourself. So the other book is um, Raw from the Heart. I just published that this book um, back in May of this year. And uh, it is a book of poetry. I was actually inspired to write this book. So it speaks about life, life's experiences, good, bad, and the ugly. Um, Roll from the Heart uh, takes you on a journey unlike no other. Each be, The page before each and every poem is a synopsis. So it tells the history or what inspired the poem. Then the second page, of course, is the poem. And uh, then we, the third page is uh, words of wisdom. So if you find yourself in the situation as one of the poems, words of wisdom will certainly help you and give you hope. Well, that is very, that's very interesting for young people who are lacking self-esteem. And one of the reasons why we decided to do this series on Write On, Write On, Write On is to get our youngsters writing and talking about their passion. And we've decided to do an anthology, so we're collecting poems from all over. And each young person who's 18 and above is uh, welcome to submit their poetry. And we're asking them to write about things that really, really matter in their life that actually engages them to demonstrate their passion. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, what drove you to write about your passion uh, with the adult book? What was one of the main things that wanted you that you wanted to talk about or to get out there in the public's eyes? And have you ever written um, and submitted any of your work in anthologies with other people as well before? No, I've never submitted any of my work. And, and, and it's so amazing how uh, Raw from the Heart got started. Um, I did not set out to write poetry. I was actually on my morning walk exercising, <laughs> and uh, some experiences in life just came back to me. And uh, one especially just overwhelmed me with poetic words. I, was, I could not believe uh, the words that were coming to me, and even more so could not believe that I remembered every single word when I got back home from walking. And... Uh, I actually ended up with a beautiful poem about a life experience. And, Would you like uh, to share that? Would you like to share that with the listening audience? Do you have one that you can read to them? Well, I can. I will leave the expletive out at the end. <laughs> but I will share the very first poem that uh, caused Raw from the Heart 
to actually be. And it's called, Where is My Man? It says, tossing and turning throughout the night. My man ain't home. That ain't right. Where can my man be? He should be here lying next to me. I lie alone throughout the night. My man ain't home. That ain't right. Without warning, night becomes morning. The door opens. My heart aches and my spirit is broken. Motionless, my man stands, tossing his keys from hand to hand. Trying not to look upset, thinking maybe it is best that I forget. Planting kisses and a little bit more, whoo, I get a whiff of a female odor. Quickly I snap back, crying out in a loud voice, You ain't my man. It seems you made a choice. Get your clothes and get them fast. If I was a man, I'd kick your... Mm. (laughs) All right. And then the words of wisdom, the words of wisdom for that particular situation said, when you overthink a thing, you sometimes change the dynamics. When you underthink a thing, you sometimes question God's amazing gift of the five senses, sight, hearing, touch, taste, and smell. The truth sometimes hurt. However, it is what it is. Face problems head on, know your self-worth, and believe in yourself. Let me ask you a question. If you were to give advice to young people who were going to be writing and submitting their very first work, what would be some of the suggestions that you would give them? Because some of these young people have never, ever published before. As a matter of fact, we ask that they not. Uh, publish the, the actual uh, selection that they submit in the anthology, what would be some of your words of wisdom to them in order to get their form selected? Wow. I, I believe, number one, uh, is just really believe in whatever it is that you're writing about. Have a passion for what you're writing about. Don't Don't just pick a subject. Feel something for what you're writing about. That's a good suggestion, very good suggestion. Now, um, I'm going to speak to the audience right now, to those young people who are submitting their work. I want you to know that you're listening to an expert here, um, Mrs. Bama. I actually viewed her in an actual jazz session where she was reciting as an orator her own work. And she put the emphasis in it and showed a lot of passion. Mm-hmm. And I was very impressed with the passion she showed for that particular poem that she just read. Mm-hmm. But what we're trying to find out, the authors that are out there, the young people, do they need a large vocabulary? Because some of them use redundancy, and then they use words that a lot of creative spelling, which is, I don't have a problem with. But then they swear throughout some of their work. What can you suggest to them for those who who have fewer words to work with? You said for those who have fewer words to work with? Yeah. Um, wow. I, I, it, it's so hard to speak to how our young people talk today because it seems to me that they believe they can't hold a conversation unless they add in foul words. But there are so many beautiful words to describe whatever it is they're writing about. And I just say go to the thesaurus, put a word in there, and look at the hundreds of words that can be used to express your thoughts. There are so many beautiful words, so many Wonderful words to work with, other than foul words. So as I said, just go in. Oh, right, Tanya. You are so right. You are so timely. That is so true. And I often tell young people that I was told if you don't have anything to say, then keep quiet. Mm -hmm. Those who actually have something to say are introducing new words and retiring other words because you can retire words from the thesaurus. However, some people tend to think that um, they can't create words and be a wordologist. So one of the things about writing poetry, you definitely have to get into a lot of wordology. So games and playing with games would be a suggestion. But when you first start writing, um, Mrs. Bama, 
did you think about what people thought of you, or were you trying to portray uh, a message? As I said with the poetry, I actually was inspired to write the poetry. But as I got into it, no, I didn't. I wasn't so concerned with what people would think of what I was writing. I because I wrote from my heart, and I and I and I I felt that every poem that is selected and printed in my book is certainly something that has happened in life, and it's something that almost any of us can relate to. So this book, this poetry is definitely relatable. Now let's talk about your children's book. Uh, Is it called Red Shoes? Two Red Shoes. Two Red Shoes. Tell me that title. Where did you inhabit that title from, and what does it actually, what's the meaning behind the words? Well, well, Two Red Shoes is really a little story of a little girl who um, goes on a journey, and while on this journey she gets a pair of red shoes. And so much happens uh, after she gets those shoes. And but 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 the the there's a um there are lessons learned just from that one pair of red shoes that she owned for however much time. And uh, through those lessons, she because she was a child who didn't believe in herself, she was shy, she didn't want to bother with other people, she felt that people didn't like her and she didn't like people, and all of that she more or less prejudged or judged herself as being someone who just was not likable and did not fit in with the other children. But owning the pair of red shoes, And the awesome thing that happened with those red shoes opened her eyes and made her see that beauty comes from within. It is not the outside of us. It's not the shell that uh, makes us beautiful or makes uh, makes others love us or whatever. People see the beauty in you when you smile. People see your inside when you smile or when you are uh, when you when you have more of a happy countenance and that is what two red shoes uh introduces to people that it is so important to love yourself and to um focus on the 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 you the 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 you that people don't see and well, therefore when you focus on the you that people don't see Mm-hmm. The you that they do see is far more beautiful. Well, you know, that book fell right in the same category of the books that I was marketing on self-esteem, Amanda's poor self-image. And we we look at uh, the categories now with developing bullying and also character building. And that's something that has basically been taken out of the curriculum and is so necessary in the school systems. I think that uh, teachers would really be interested in adding that book to their collection of character building because it certainly fits in there. And most of what our students are learning is to build their self-esteem, and that's how they actually thrive in school with high self-esteem, not with all this academic if they feel good about themselves, they tend to, you know, do excellent on any kind of test. They will certainly do better if they feel good by themselves. Even on the back of the book, I say something like, in this story, the main character is a little girl named Valencia. She is unhappy with her surroundings and herself. Most days she dreams about the things that she believes will make her happy. Valencia's world lights up when her mom makes her an offer to go shopping. So once again, this little girl is so into herself that even her mom struggles to make her happy. Her mom is continuously thinking of ways and things that uh, make her happy, even down to constantly baking cakes and allowing her to lick the bowl, which, of course, has a temporary happiness. But regardless, the mom just struggles to find ways to make this child happy. So... uh, once once that red shoe the red shoes come into play and she really finds out what life is really about as far as being happy uh within then uh everything changes for her. Oh my god. See, there's a lot to be learned from that very um you know, just from looking at 
how do you you make a child feel like they have self worth? Um, I can see them adding that into a social studies curriculum, mm-hmm. uh, even into uh, early childhood program as well. Mm-hmm. So I can very well see that being utilized in the school system. Now, young people, I'm speaking to you. If you're writing, I know you probably don't want to write about children's stories, but children's stories can be very, very interesting. As a matter of fact, I have a series out there that I'm doing on the lily pad, and I'm changing my voice, projecting it, creating characters, and that's what you do when you reach your material and become an orator. You actually project your voice and change your voice and create characters because you want your story to come to life. I want your poems to be real. I want them to be about something and something that you can engage in or you have engaged in. Mm-hmm. So uh, also, Obama, tell me a little bit about um, the market out there right now and uh, is the market uh, user-friendly and are, are they embracing the type of work that you do right now? Are you seeing people that have been looking for the type of style of writing that you do? Well, it, it's a struggle. It's a struggle, but... Um, I am so pleased with both books and uh, the message that both books send out. And so every author event that I attend, I I am just so pleased to go there and to be around other authors who are celebrating their works. So to me, it's 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 good right now. It's good because I am pleased with what I get from what I've written. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you know, um, one of the things that I wanted to tell the audience that I met Mrs. Uh, uh, Thomas while she was actually doing a book signing, and I was there at the uh, at the uh, convention for the library where they actually bring in all local authors from the uh, community. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, I was basically pushing the children's books, and I am very, very adamant about poetry, and that was my first love. So I'd like to read one of my poems out of the collection, and it's entitled The, uh, the Collection of the Class Agent According to Garth. And this is called Did You Ever Believe? Did you ever believe in things you couldn't see? or things you thought you could never be. Like a dreamer, that's what I'll be, believing for things that I can't see. I know faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now this is the key to unlocking the doors and the evidence of things unseen, which can sometimes appear in our dreams. A measure of faith, which is what he has given us by grace. Did you ever believe in things you couldn't see? Or the things you thought you could never be, like a dreamer. That's what I'll learn to be. Believe the things that I can't see. I'll speak things as if they were, hoping that one day they will occur. I know that what you say is what you have today. It was planned that way. While believing in a future of tomorrow that's brighter than today, for the only way, love, hope, and faith. And the greatest of these is faith. For without faith, it's really impossible to have his grace. Did you ever believe in things you couldn't see? Or things you thought you could never be? Even if I might be able to love unconditionally and have all hope beyond measures, without faith, I receive no real treasures. Faith without works is dead is what we should really dread. Did you ever believe in things you couldn't see? Or things you thought you could never be? Like a dreamer, that's what I'll be, believing for things that I can't see. Wow. Even though I might possess the face of a mustard seed and have not heeded to the laws of sowing and reaping, then what's the sense in keeping faith as a tool when I've already broken all the rules? <laughs> that was written that was written while I was overseas and dedicated to a proof of civilian as well as military women. But I want to encourage the young listening audience that when you tell stories about your friends or what happened to you, it's easier to talk about your loved ones. And I do a lot of talking about family because it's easy to talk about them. Yeah. So what do you think, Mama? Is it easier for it to roll off the tongue when you talk about your family members? Um, is it easier to talk about family members? 
Well, well, I think when you do that, you still have to be, I guess, um, careful about what you say and how you say it. Um, I, I don't know that it's easier to talk about family members. I think again, I was I was inspired to write what I wrote. So there were people um, whose experiences I did write about, and I certainly talked to them before I published their work, their experiences in my book, and I mm-hmm. asked them if it was okay to do so, and uh, most everybody was excited to know that. Whatever they went through, whether it was a tragedy or or um, something funny or whatever, they were all excited to know that their experience uh, was going to go into a book. I guess any of us would be kind of happy or, or, or excited about that. So I, I don't really know. I, I don't know how to really well, answer Well, you said two things. It's a two-edged sword um, uh, about uh, – it's a two-edged sword, Ms. Thomas. And that two-edged sword is if you get permission, then they're giving you permission to write, and it's right. always good to that. But at the same time, when they see their story come to life, then it's almost like giving birth to a baby. It's a love-hate relationship. Yeah. But at the same time, they can, they, can, they can rally in the fact that they've been published and their thoughts have been put on, on paper. So I tend to think that those young people who you're praising or you're uplifting and encouraging, they tend to draw strength from that poem. I remember one of the uh, seniors in uh, one of the uh, high school programs that I was doing the bar mitzvah for for the graduation. They were writing poems, and this one guy had such a passion for his writing that he wanted it entered into the graduation book. And when I entered it, he was just floored to see his words on paper and then to hear them read. He just It just changed him as a person as people read this poem over and over again. It's like it was washing him with the word and bringing him up from uh, from the ashes and straightening him up. And he started to walk with his back straightened up a little bit better. Wow. And, more proud of the self. So I think writing gives life to your story, and it also gives breath to your story. Do you have another poem that you can read and and give some background information about why you wrote this next one and tell the young listening audience how they can select a bad situation that they can use to curtail and solve other problems with? Well, Well, this one is called Beauty is Inside Out. And it, and this one is definitely relatable because when we're kids, we really most times look kind of funny, maybe have big ears or or things of that nature, and uh, we may not think that we are the cutest or whatever. So this poem is called Beauty is Inside Out, and it says, I morphed into someone pretty. I don't know when or why. I got a revelation years ago. I think that I was five. Around that time, I looked quite funny. Everything was too big. My lips poked out. I had big feet. I could have used a wig. My goosey neck was very long, which made me taller, you see. I used to hang my head because people laughed at me. I knew I wasn't pretty, although I had hoped to be. Then one day, my teacher read a story to me. The Ugly Duckling is what she read. I believed, keeping hope in my head. I knew one day I would have a new look, just like the ugly duck in the storybook. When you are young, you do not know the wonderful person into which you will grow. There is hope, just you wait and see. Believe in yourself and realize your potentiality. Oh, that is really nice. I like that one. That's another another encouragement uh, poem. Definitely encouraging. That's up spirit. And I think that's really what the Psalms are all about in the Bible is lifting encouragement and helping young people to realize that, you know, there's a place in music and there's a place in poetry to lift our spirits because even David, you know, he became very weary and he wanted people to say encouraging words. And, and so the Psalms were something like that. Um I, I think that um, in this anthology, what we're attempting to do is to bring about young people seeing their words in writing. And I agreed to do the first 25 poems so I can encourage other people to bring their poems in. And I, I have some poems that 
uh, have not been published yet. Um, and one of these poems that I think I'm going to add to the anthology, but it, it reminds me of my experience in the Internet, and I think the young people can relate to this. And it's called Trap Like a Mouse. Now I want to get my work out on today, but first this Internet I must play. Email is backed up to the brim. Don't look like I'll be getting to that jam. Look at here. Detailed mail has been sent back again. And Lucky Lotto swears I win. I'm trapped like a mouse. Girl, I got to get up out of this house. I'm really trapped like a mouse. Confirmation letter's been sent. I wonder where that email went. Website's now under construction. Hopefully I won't experience any more disruption. Can't let that chat room keep me up all night. I'll talk friends will just have to take a flight. They tell me that MSN is all brand new. I guess I'll plop by just to get a view. Yahoo has been working overtime. Don't look like I'll be getting back on this live. Server's done responding again. Working offline is now the new trend. Trapped like a mouse. Girl, I really got to get up out of this house. I'm really trapped like a mouse. Junk mail, I'll have to read a few. Hot mail server, you can't even view. Afraid those fools are going to try to cam. Just trying to get a look at who I am. Open up these airways and unzip the files. Computer needs attention, and so does my child. I'm trapped like a mouse. Girl, I really got to get up out of this house. I'm really trapped like a mouse. I want to change my email. Yes, I want to turn it around. Then I want to tell folks I moved out of town. This mouse is starting to stick again. I wonder will I ever win. Screens have become blurred, and input has lost all my words. Ain't no virus getting through until I finish what I have to do, and that is to sit here and talk to you until you've recognized my point of view about that little thing they call the mouse and how it's got me trapped here in this house. I'm trapped like a mouse. Girl, I really got to get up out of this house. I'm really trapped like a mouse. Wow, that is beautiful. <laughs> and that's how I feel most of the time when I'm on the Internet. I can't get off and, you know, you type in something, you're stuck. And today, uh, um, uh, Obama, when you was talking to me, you said, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I still <laughs> am trapped like a mouse. <laughs> wow, that was beautiful. So I, I try to put some humor in it. A lot of times we get so serious with our poetry that these young people go in and they listen to an orator and they're, they're stuck. They can't move. And they don't know whether we rejoice and sheer uh, excitement or to sit there uh, and remain like the anesthetized. But I guess when we get on stage, we become a bit of a, a comedian. And that's what I, when I get on stage, I become a, a bit of a comedian. And I say that if you can't laugh at yourself, who can you laugh at? Wow, and you are so right about laughter, and people really don't understand just how important laughter really is. It um, is so like medicine, it's like medicine to the yes, soul. Yes, yes, yes. Laughter does, does the heart good. So as we talk about words, words cast a spell. I'm working on a book now uh, entitled Words Casting the Spell. Mm-hmm. And those of us who can take words and use them so that they cast a spell, then we realize we're powerful because in reality, spelling is a spell because you are learning certain words and uh, mermodictical diagrams, learning how to add your E before you have <laughs> All of these are spells that you're casting as you use words. Mm-hmm. So those who have the power to cast the, the, the spell that lasts the longest, they mesmerize people. And that's what uh, Nina Simone used to talk about, how she cast a spell on her audience and held them captive. And when we, people we are material, we want to hold them captive, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I, that that poem you read uh, about where's my man? It, it held the audience captive. The women were just like, "That's how I feel. That's how I feel." Everyone, the women in there, had gone through that, so they were held captive. And you mesmerized them with the poem. You really did. Mm-hmm. Now let me say this to the listening audience. Um, you are to go on the website and it gives you explicit instructions for how to load your poem up. And your poem 
you have got to confirm your identification number in order to get in and out of the portrait. You are uploading your portrait. That is not the anthology book. That is where you are housing your poem so we can go through it, make some correction, and speak with you about your poem, and then add anything you might want to add at the last minute, and and re-edit it. But at the same time, um, the whole collection is called the collection of Omega Seven and Tribe. So you're the tribe, and the name has already been there, and I use it quite a bit. So I thought it would be easier to just go with something we know, put the books in a collection, and then have our categories of children, stories, uh, love affairs, hardships, or whatever, but we're going to try to create a content so that in the table of contents it's divided in categories. And then we'll try it out include as many as we can, but we don't want to go over a uh, hundred pages. We're trying to, you know, curtail it down to a smaller book so that it will be available so that everyone can purchase it for a reasonable fee. We're trying to do, like, um, the actual book that, that the people will buy for themselves. We're going to try to keep it real reasonable, less than $5 so that everyone can have their own book. And this is not to make a profit. It's for everyone to have their own book and give their book to their loved ones. And, and so, it's wonderful to be published at such a young at young time in such a young time in life. If you're a teenager or early 20s and already published, I mean, through uh, the, the work that you're speaking about, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because so many people have a hard time Lots and lots of people have manuscripts. I mean, I, I, I meet people all the time who say, wow, I've got a manuscript. Um, how do I get it out there? How do I get it started? Well, it seems to me that what you're doing with this anthology is really a start for young people. And certainly someone who uh, participates in this with you, someone who submits a poem and their poem is chosen, Mm-hmm. You, you just don't even know how you're starting something, how you're helping them to get started in life with writing. It may be something. Can you imagine all of the poems that you have put up under your, um, you put up under your bed, and you said, "I'll get to this later," and you know it's a good piece, and then somebody finally comes along, dusts dust off that good piece, adds it to uh, a collection. Yeah and then give life to it, and then at the same time, now you have a collection of your poems, and then you can say, well, let's do another one and another one, and then you, you don't have to go out and find someone to give you an ISBN number. You don't have to go out and pay someone to do the exterior, the cover, or the binding. Then you start collecting some of these books, and your poem could be in those, in every one of those anthologies, one, two, and three, and then you say, well, I didn't have to pay any money, and I got published for free. Yes, yes. That's awesome. So it's a, it's a thought, and, you know, I wanted to put that thought out there because when I first got published, I got published in an anthology, and when I saw the book called The Twilight, the book was so beautiful and, you know, just covered with nice leather and bound very well, and it was just a, a conversation piece. So it's a chance for young people to have a conversation piece to put on their tabletop and talk about it and say, hey, you know, I'm going to do better than this. Next time I'll publish my own anthology or I'll publish more than one poem, you know. Wow. You know, I had thought about doing a workshop for, for not just young people, but a workshop for anyone interested in um, self-publishing, uh, anyone who had a manuscript and they just didn't know what to do with it. I think it would be awesome to do a workshop that would help other people get through all that it takes to bring a book to life. Well, we used to do something like that in the school. We had a publishing department, and all the children brought their big books down, and we we actually did their little editing to their uh, to their to the actual what do we call it to their actual sketch. But we just changed the wording around and typed it up for them so it could look really nice. And then we bound it up and we collectively put everybody work together and it became a big book. And we had a publishing department in our school and children were published all the time. And they were always bringing their mom up saying, 
that's the book I helped publish. And and these children had such high self-esteem, and they, they felt like I can write anything because I know I can use creative spelling, and someone was always, always going to edit it and help me with it. But the main thing, they get the story out. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But writing writing definitely um, uh, opens your mind up to uh, so many creative uh, – it, it causes creative juices to just really flow. Once you start writing, sometimes the words that come out and the thoughts that come out, you go, well, where did that come from? But it's just amazing uh, the things that happen when you are well, you know, Bob, in that writing. There's so many different techniques, and one of the ones I found – that with my poetry, um, I wasn't a writer per se. I wrote narratives, but not poetry. Mm-hmm. I actually was going into meditation, doing my meditation, uh, not the transcendental. I was basically doing guided meditation. And through guided meditation, I learned that I could write from the right side of my brain while pulling the creative side while meditating and doing it early in the morning, every day at the same time. Wow. And myself to let the right side give me information that I didn't know anything about because that's subconscious where your creativity realm is. And I found that when I went into a trance that I could easily write and things would come easy for me. So uh, I did a workshop about that and, you know, found out that there were a lot of guided meditation and a lot of people who were writing from the right side of their brain, carrying a tape recorder into meditation and just recording and then transcribing it later. You know. mm-hmm. wow. So that that makes for another good workshop. Now I'm going to read another one here that I'm going to include into the collection, and it's called "This Music Inside of Me." And this is the one that won an award, and it was going to be published here in the United States while I was in Germany. But at the time, I decided to wait until I published the book. Mm-hmm. But anyway, here it, it here it reads: "This music inside of me, it has to sing." Come winter, come fall, or come spring. Melodies that are so sweet to the ear that they will come from afar just to hear. I'll sing a song of summer and add to it the beat of the finest drummers with big drums, little drums, and talking drums too. I'll create the music especially for you. With flutes and string instruments, I'll add to it woodwinds and percussion accents that birds will come out to hear. This music will be so soothing to the ear. This music inside of me, it's got to hear. This music inside of me has to sing. Come winter, come fall, or come spring. In the coolness of the fall, the breeze begins to call out to the children to return to the halls while making vows that they will travel for miles to return to school with ten faces after they have returned from their vacations. This music inside of me has to sing. Come winter, come fall, or come spring. This writer, this writer keeps telling me that there's music inside, yeah. and that I've been suppressed. It's been suppressed and forced to hide. Yeah. But I must bring it out by singing loud with pride. I'll sing of a new song. I'll sing of a new song on one winter's night, while on the wind, while the wind blows and the snowflakes strike a pose. And on every street corner, you'll be able to hear this music inside of me that is so dear. This music inside of me has to sing. Come winter, come fall, or come spring. On spring, one spring day, the heat of the night, my voice will echo in the ghetto ever so light, all during the night, while singing out. Let the music inside of you heal others, for you were blessed with it by your mother's. Let the music inside of you sing. Come winter, come fall, or come spring. Let the music inside of you sing. Because there is music inside of everyone. Mm-hmm. Wow. Those are awesome poems you've read, Sherelle. I've enjoyed them. Well, yes. you know, every one of us have a song in us and a story to tell. Mm-hmm. I always say that there's a million-dollar uh, story in every woman, just like, you know, with the small businesses, they talk about the um, billion-dollar contract. So there's really a billion-dollar contract in all of us. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, I want the listening audience to remember that we are doing this show on 
uh, talk to. And you can hear it on Facebook, Twitter, and it might even be on my uh, Google uh, Hangout as well. But it will not be on Blog Talk until I upload it there. And at this time, I think I'm going to upload it to Streakers and possibly to our BAM radio station and not to Blog Talk because of the technicality. Mm-hmm. However, it will be made available so that, Bama, uh, you can actually download it to your desktop and use it for your uh, referrals and your references if someone wanted to hear your interview. Oh, so we are going, you know, we're going to ask you, Bama, if there's something that you would like to say to the listening audience or uh, some information that you gain about this profession of writers that you can share with us. Well, no more than what I've already said, and that is to just really believe in yourself, believe in your work, believe that anything you set out to do, you can do. That's my message all the time, believe in yourself. Now, what would you say the drawbacks of writing uh, as far as a writer's block? I mean, there's not such a thing anymore now that we don't have to stare at a blank uh, screen or a blank piece of paper because a lot of writers are finding out that they use the audacity, they record, and then they transcribe. And they're finding that once, if they can talk it out, they can get it on paper. What would be some of the blockage of writing right now that would stop a person from writing? What would be the blockage? Maybe money? And I guess, you know, maybe money because it is quite expensive to uh, write and get your work published, uh, especially if you if you pay to have it edited, if you uh, really go to a company and have them so-called self-publish for you because that does happen. Um I, I think maybe money would be it because the average person who would set out to write a book or um, a, a book of poems or a love book or love story or, or whatever, anybody who would set out to do that, I would believe that they would just be so fixed on what they're doing that mm-hmm. they wouldn't they wouldn't think like, oh wow, this can't be done, or they wouldn't the drawbacks wouldn't really be there. I don't think other than money. That's, that's and you, you hit it right on the point. Now, one of the youngsters really intrigued me to do something similar to what he had done, and he said that he created um, demos, and he distributed his demos free. He never sold a, an album or an actual demo. Everything was given freely. Mm-hmm. However, when you disperse your work out there, and submit it, and then have uh, concerts where you invite people to come. They are so ready to come to your concert because everyone's got your work, and they all are reciting it, and they all have listened to it, so now they want to go to the concerts where they know the music. So when they come in, they're able to sing along with Mitch, and they're enjoying the concert, and they don't mind paying for the ticket. (laughs) And I said, that's a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I guess with the way that modern te- technology is today, there there is there's an app or whatever out here to help you get through almost anything. So I I, I think that uh, young people have a better advantage uh, as far as writing and and doing a good work. Someone standing there with a CD in their hand and they're handing it to you, and they've got long lines around the corner and they're just handing out demos, everyone's getting a demo. Do you know what that does? The serotonin level goes up in that person's brain. Yeah. And the people who watch the giving also have serotonin levels that go up because it, it is a known fact that when you operate in the spirit of giving, it creates the happy syndromes of serotonin. So the person in that same line gets a free demo. They walk right over to the desk, look at the itinerary. They say, where are you appearing at next? He says, oh, buy one of my tickets. I'll be appearing in Chicago. Oh, fine. You can get them now at the desk at a discount. So if you buy them then, you get them for $10 less. So they're more apt to give you that $10 for that ticket to come to your show because you've just given them something. Now you've got your work out there. You've got an itinerary that's packed and everybody's showing up. So even though you didn't 
you still you planted a seed when you gave out that demo, even though you didn't sell it, you planted a seed. And now they will probably come to that concert and bring two or three friends. Yes, yes, that's awesome. Hey, that's a that's a good something to do as far as uh selling more books. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, you, you can you can use but, your statistics and say I sold what well, I I distributed a hundred books. I said, Well, a hundred percent of your books, yes. That means you got rid of all of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I guess I'm also thinking about doing audio. Uh-huh. You know, read your poetry and do audio and actually give those mm-hmm. CDs away. Well, that's exactly what I, you know, the CDs I had on display, that is that is the audio of me actually doing my book, reading it alive in Germany. And it's a live broadcast. And also I have a live storytelling for children. That is a gift that I will be giving for free. Mm-hmm. And every one of those gifts that I give, I'm asking them to come back and join me at one of the local schools. The school may even uh, uh, put the bill for me to come. And so then they still don't have to put out any money. They just have to show up. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that way you, you have a market, and it's a, it's a unique um, technique for marketing, but at the same time, it's a spirit of giving. And when you're in the spirit of giving, everyone gets blessed. That's true. Everyone does get blessed. Because I, I tend to tell them, I said, well, uh, I don't do this for a living. I said, uh, it's just one of the things as a teacher, I think we all teachers should be an uh, author, and we should publish something, at least our work, our lesson plans or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Most teachers hate even writing that lesson plan, <laughs> let alone publishing it. Well, they made they made us write so much of it. I said we we should find a spot out there where if somebody's sick of looking at theirs, they can come to our website and they can exchange some of ours. I have a website out there like that mm-hmm. where everything the teacher thinks she wants, she go on that website. There's so many freebies on there, and that's uh, www. Uh, what is it, uh, Lily? Lily Institute for Exceptional Education, Weebly.com, and they go out there. They say, oh, Ms. Scott, there's some stuff out there, grant writing and information. I said, yeah, because, mm-hmm. you know, teachers get stuff. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I just got thrown off. I don't know how. Yes, yes. They threw the mother off the bus. (laughs) Okay. But the children Um, stayed on board. Yes, the children stayed on board. (laughs) Okay. Well, let me ask you something. Um, What do you think about little satires? that actually do, you know, like they may be a stage play with Rosa Parks and the scene where she didn't get off the bus, or there may be little satires from, you know, Martin Luther King's segment of his speech, uh, I Have a Dream. I tend to think that young children need to memorize and have orator and then be able to create characters. And I kind of think that if more of that was done, as as a hobby, young people would be, I mean, they would be natural natural actors on stage. Aren't they natural actors anyway? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you're right. And, and not only that, it would educate them even more so and help them to understand the plight, help mm-hmm, them to mm-hmm. understand what those people were up against 
when all of those different situations happened because I'm I'm finding that more young people are not really aware that the civil rights movement and all of those sorts of things, those were real and those people were real. And I don't Absolutely. I don't know that I don't know the young people today uh take those situations seriously. And, and you know, when something happens in the news, uh our teachers should be really apt to bring in the television, uh the streaming Let's, let's, this is breaking, breaking news. Shut the whole class down. We're going to view this overhead stream. We're going to get involved. We're going to write about it. Because children have afterthoughts about things, and sometimes they have a lot to say. And if you don't capture it right there in that moment, you tend to get boggled up energy that manifests itself in other ways. Mm-hmm. I so I, I think that when they write, at that instant, they become very passionate about what they've seen, what they've heard, and you can you can get some collectively good stories from young people and find out this child is thinking like an adult. He's applying wisdom, mm-hmm. and yet he hasn't even had the, the lesson or the experience. Absolutely. Absolutely, but certainly it would... Uh... It would uh, resonate with them because it would be if, if it's something that you get involved in learning about and and acting out or whatever, then naturally it's going to become yours. It's going to be a part of you, and, and you do have a better understanding and and feelings for what has happened. And, and sometimes you run into kids that'll say, "Well, you know, I know I'm a nerd." And I don't want to be a nerd, and I don't want anybody to find out that I'm a nerd. You know, I like Star Wars. I like to, you know, imitate, uh, you know, Chewbacca or whoever. And these young children get laughed at because they are students, because they enjoy reading, and because they're good readers and they can uh, write a a decent composition. They get laughed at, so they kind of downplay their whole character. Then you'll read some of their work and find out they're very good writers, but then they'll be afraid for you to display their work. And they'll really wow. be ashamed of it. And this is, this is why bullying is a big thing in the schools and they're trying to destroy that whole concept. But I say that it's, it, it's not only bullying because sometimes the teachers can become bullies in the classroom. Yeah. And they're the biggest bullies in the whole, in the whole <laughs> system. And I was like, if they wouldn't demonstrate this, then the children wouldn't demonstrate it. Well, you got, you got a valid point there, extremely valid. I once read a book that the children are acting out because the parents have displayed bad behavior, and that's almost like the parents have eaten bitter grapes, now the children's teeth are set on edge, <laughs> you know. So somewhere along the line, I do think that we have to encourage our young to go out and to talk about and have, you know, have the opportunity to have platforms where they can speak and also write. And a lot of young people say, well, why do I need to write about it? I just talked about it. I said, well, your writing, it precedes you, and it travels uh, on when you have transitioned and left this earth. You're writing, you know. Hey, and sometimes you become... Famous, 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 long after you've transpired, long after. That's right. And people can uh, reap the benefits from from your labor after you're dead, and sometimes when you're alive, they don't even recognize what your work is. But do you have another poem you can share with us, Rama? I would definitely like to hear another one of your poems. Oh, okay. Or even leave the two as shoes. You said what? What about two red shoes? Or either you, you can read from the two red shoes if you want to. Well, two red shoes. Okay, let's see. Two red shoes is actually narrated by the gram by a grandma, and she starts out with, "Wow, grand." Well, the little girl is talking. Wow, grandma, look at me. I am wearing your shoes. I feel grown up just like you. Grandma, why do you have so many pairs of shoes? Well, baby, I was poor when I was a little girl. Being poor caused me to be very sad. I decided that someday I would own all kinds of shoes in every color, especially red. Grandma, is red your favorite color? 
Yes, it is, baby. The color red is powerful and vibrant. In fact, I have been in love with red since I was about your age. Hmm, thinking about it now, it's kind of funny that I would have seen the beauty in a color as bold as red. Sit down next to me, baby. Let me tell you about the summer of 1961 when I got my first pair of red shoes. And the grandma goes on to talk about herself as a little girl all the way through getting the red shoes, all the way through changing uh, personalities and and discovering a new her. So that's two red shoes. And the one 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 uh, wonderful thing about the two red shoes book, I did make a note to parents, and I ca- I told them, um, of course, the two red shoes was about you know learning to love and finding happiness, self acceptance, all of those things. But also, I told them that it's a feel good story and it's relatable. It aims to educate everyone who reads it, especially young girls. Also, throughout the story, you will discover valuable lessons. I've listed several positive phrases that sure, that are sure to uplift and improve self-confidence. So we know that if parents and the adults that are around children uh, speak to them in a very um, demeaning way, then it, it hurts that child's self-esteem. We know if parents or the adults around children uplift them, then helps them to feel good about themselves. So I put a couple of um, phrases in here, and I said, um, you are joy. These are just some things that I tell parents they can uh, perhaps say to their children on a daily basis to uplift them. And I said, you are joy, something like nice going, phenomenal, you deserve a hug, you are a winner. Now those are just simple phrases, but you will you can think about the smile that will enter any child's face if you use any one of those phrases on them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Now here here's an area uh, that I have been thinking so seriously about, and just like Amanda's poor stuff image was mm-hmm. written by a young lady who is a Muslim, and it is very timely in this crisis where Muslims are being indicted for everything, no matter uh, if they're wearing the headdress or if they are wearing the facade. They are being indicted for everything, even though um, their particular philosophy is not one of destruction. So in that particular book, Amanda's Push Up Image, it actually is speaking from a perspective of a young girl wearing her gay lady wrap mm-hmm. and how the children were putting her down. So I decided to write a series about yes. that and kicking off from Amanda's Push Up Image. Um, then there is uh, another segment that I wrote in a, in a short satire about um, the after-school program goes to the prom. And this whole segment is about the after-school program. It's the STEMS program science, technology, engineering, and math. And these are supposed to be the studious children who sign up for these programs, but I've gotten the lower-level children to enroll to show people it doesn't matter what your academics are. Everyone deserves to have a try at uh, high technology. So one of the girls is a Muslim who actually participates in the after-school program, and uh, her best friends in the after-school program were curious about her daily and why she wore this ritual uh, outfit. And they never knew how to ask her, so she decides to go to the prom, and they don't want her going there embarrassing herself uh, in front of their friends, so they're trying to talk her down to get her to take this scarf off, and why is she wearing it the whole day? Mm-hmm. So this particular series, it's online now. You can hear it on my Facebook where uh, the after school goes uh, to the prom. And then there's a series of, 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 of children that are in the after-school program. They take a mission to Mars and go to, over to Purdue University, and they are part of this mission, and they are actually trained for NASA. And I actually did this in school, so I reiterated everything and relived it. And people said, well, who are these kids? And where did these kids get their uniforms and, and can this possibly be done? I said, it was already done. We did it in the classroom. And I got all boys to enter the program where we decided to open it up for girls to come because initially it was a STEM program for girls 
who uh, needed to get into engineering, math, bio, bioscience, and we were encouraging them to take the science classes. So a lot of kids get very interested when they hear that, and they say, well, okay, these kids are doing a mission to Mars, and they're special ed, and they're low level, they're not even um, uh, high honors. And yes, we've got to stop segregating children saying, you know, you're the only one that can participate because you're high honors. But yet, at any given time, any child can be gifted, whether it be a special needs child or not. So this is to take away the stigmas of those special needs children who are always locked down in these small classrooms who don't get to do innovative things. So it's really um, changing the whole uh uh, teach and showing teachers that you must make every young person inclusive, regardless of what the IEPs shows. Because some times down the road, we find out those IEPs uh, have not been updated for two years and they need to be renewed and children change. So, in other words, when I'm trying to carry down the stigma of, of children having access to high technology, a lot of children are, are, are not given the option doing high technology, they're forgetting, they're told they're dumb, they're stupid, they can't do it. And then you've got these other kids thinking very high of themselves who are there but who really don't have the academics, but they're there because they've already been categorized for this particular program. So you get a lot of discrimination in these special high technology programs. So it's on it's on the Facebook and it's a series and um I, I created characters that I try to stick with their names like Ricky, John and Wesley, Melody, and Bethany, and these are children that get teased a lot. They're special needs children, and they always show, those are the ones that never graduate. They never get into those high-tech programs, and they end up um, dropping out of school. So I'm casting a new light on the new kind of smart, because you have these so-called yuppies who are smart, but they have no wisdom. They can't go home like a landscape kid and feed themselves, but you got a lot of special ed kids who have been taught living and lively life skills. They know how to go home, make a meal for themselves, put themselves to bed and everything else, and you got these so-called smart kids who don't know what to do with uh, uh, a loaf of bread and some bologna. <laughs> so, you know, I, I kind of think that will keep you going when you create an environment and you have a series of these particular stories, and that's what I've been working on lately. Well, you sound like you really have a calling to help young people, and wow, I hope that many are listening and that many will um, submit their poems and um, take hold of what you're offering to them. I, I do too. I really hope so, and I'm thinking that, a large portion of them may contact me offline and say, well, are you still doing that uh, poetry thing? And a lot of times they don't want to call in. They're afraid. And I want to say to those people who are afraid, uh, I've been on the air for six years. Uh, I'll be back on blog talk again. You can call in, and then you can talk about your fears about writing, and we can overcome some of those fears. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, I'm looking for the 18-year-olds who actually have all these poems that they shoved under their bed or in their closet, get them out, get them out, mm-hmm. and get them out there because this is your opportunity. And, you know, every year I do a lot with poetry. I've got a lot of groups of people that are involved in poetry. They're on TV and everything. We have deaf, deaf poets that come out, and, uh, I mean, these people come out, and they don't even speak. They have people to assign to other people who speak for them. So if they can come out and speak, and that's what we're going to have on our show next, um, the, the deaf poets who actually perform, and they're all deaf, and then they have uh, other people sing and speak for them. That's awesome. So we're going to end, end our show uh, with uh, asking um, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Obama, if she really has any cliches or any schools of thought that she would leave us as, as a last word or something. Oh, my mantra is just keep it moving. Keep it moving. Just keep it, keep moving. it moving. All yes. right. And what we're going to do is don't be stagnant. Don't be stagnant. Don't okay. uh, just, you know, don't uh, get in a lull and, uh, not not feel that you can go any further. Just keep it moving. Just keep doing something, working towards whatever your goal is. 
And I like that because when you get stuck on frozen viewpoints, you really, really can't learn anything because you're not open. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna end it off with Crazy Cam. And some of you may have heard this one before, but uh, it will be in the anthology. Don't go PMing me saying that you want to cam. Boy, you don't know who I really am. You don't know who I could really be. Ask them if you can lay your camera on me. Why, just to add a face to a voice? Is that really giving you a choice? Asking for a chance to lay eyeballs on who I am. Could this be another one of your foolish scams? I could be warmed over breakfast or even an anorexic. I could even be fresh out the bush. Just why are my looks you're trying to push? Screens don't always reveal what's true when someone's trying to take a look at you. As a matter of fact, they will always oblige just to keep you coming back for more lies. Now, here's the real deal when looking for how someone feels. Ask questions like, how do you feel or how do you do? Maybe you'll get a chance to get a look or two or maybe even a better view. An image on screen can hardly be seen, and it won't even get you closer to the girl in your dreams. Make sure that you pick up on this. Now, don't go adding me to your buddy list. I know only sooner or later you're going to be pissed after you realize that you're going to be pissed. And no, I don't want to join your pal talk group. Just to, just to listen to the latest scoop, I want you to leave me right where I am. And that is off of your crazy camp. Crazy camp. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us in our episode on Right On, Right On, Right On. And I chose that because it's fitting for our age bracket. We were in the group when things were copacetic and right on, right on, right on. So I'd like to sign off by saying straight ahead and into the future and up you mighty race because you can accomplish what you will. Oh, Thank yeah. You. Thank you so very much, Mama, and we will do this again. Thank you. All right. Goodbye. Good night, everyone. Good night. Bye-bye. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.